You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Match either we win or we learn, and today we learned. Abdacha, Austin, shot at Isabel. It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Bella. Onside, 1 0. Blue fast shot. Oh my word. It's unbelievable. He ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, 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 your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it and I hope that you are well and I hope that you are excited for the return of the Premier League, even if you are a little bit uh, conflicted, a little bit nervous, a little bit not sure how things are going to go, because really none of us are. And uh, although I am very much looking forward to it, I'm also not sure if I'm allowed to look forward to it or if I should be thinking about other bigger things in life. But uh, honestly, this week we're going to talk about the return of football because that is what is happening this week. Saints are back um, on Friday. Uh, nine more games to go in the season. New contracts for Hassan Hoodle and Long and Smallbone. Um, I think things are mostly good in in the realm of Saints, including uh, you know a, a friendly win behind closed doors. Friendly, which do we have to say behind closed doors anymore, or do we just say friendly because they're all behind closed doors, right? Um, so I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out. This week on the show, I'm joined by Carl Anker, the Athletics Carl Anker. He is, uh, of course, the Saints reporter for The Athletic. If you have not signed up for that, you don't know what it's about. There are links in the show notes. There's a, a discount for the rest of the season. That link is down there. Uh, Carl brought that to you. Uh, it came out on Monday. If you're listening on Tuesday, it's still valid. It'll get you a discount for the rest of the season or for the rest of the year. I'm not, I'm not sure since I already paid full price. So... Thanks for that, Carl. Anyway, if you want to follow Carl on Twitter, you can do that. He's at Anchorman616. The link to that is in the show notes. Uh, go check out his writing. If you haven't done it, there's also a free trial period. So, you know, you can see if you like it. But um, hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for uh, putting up with me and listening to this over the course of the, uh, the break, we'll call it. And um, really looking forward to getting back to discussing uh, football and other things as well. But but actual football, that, that's going to be great. And anyway, let's get to the show. Here's my conversation with Carl Anker. I hope that you enjoy it. I will talk to you on the other side. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Carl Anker. You can find him on Twitter at Anchorman616. Uh, the link to that, of course, is in the show notes, along with uh, the link to the athletic because that is uh, that that's one of your jobs and that's where you write about Southampton and uh, that's what we're here to talk about. So, Carl, welcome to the show and thanks again for joining me again uh, ahead of Saints' first match and I don't know how long. Uh, March seventh, one nil defeat against Newcastle, which I think ninety ninety one ninety two days ago. Uh, 
wasn't the last time I wore a turtleneck, but it was close. <laughs> well, the weather's got to be got to be getting non turtleneck. Is it still turtleneck season, or is it always turtleneck it, season? It's very much not turtleneck season. The joke everyone is, my friends are saying is, what happens if you like completely miss all of sun, summer and then you just go straight back into turtleneck season by the time we see you again? Like, oh my god, that might happen. Could happen. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Well, I mean, things I think are opening up a little bit in terms of uh, restrictions relaxing. Are your gyms open yet? No, they are not. Um, I very much look not gym ready. <laughs> uh, I think the best way you can describe my physical appearance is um, uh, Childish Gambino in the This Is America video. Okay. He's got the big hair, but he's also got a little bit of a pot belly when he's popular. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what I look like. All right. All right. I, I think uh, you're, you're not the only one. It's the, the people where I live have been like congregating on the trails where like I like to go run and it's like, if you could one, just like one, don't start, don't stand, stand on the trail. Like you can't do that. Like you just block people's way. And then two, like, you know, some of us are trying to work out. Um, this is the one place we can do it until yesterday. Uh, the, the, the gyms opened yesterday. So we'll, we'll see how many people are in there with their, their masks on. And I can't wait for the gym selfies to return. It'll be a good reason for me to get off Instagram because I'll be tired of it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so can I just ask you like, what's work been like for you? over this time with, with no football and like no in-person meetings and, and like, how is, how have you found trying to, to write about the team and, and kind of keep everybody up to date? And you've done a fantastic job, but like how, how hard has that been for you? Very, to be perfectly honest with you. So I, you know, as a relatively rookie football journalist, this is my first year. And when there is no football, coming up with ideas when you don't have that game every single Saturday and you don't have that press conference every single Thursday it is a lot harder. You, know, you may have seen a lot of my articles. I, I like writing about stats and the XG stuff. That's a lot harder to do when there are no games going on. So what I've had to do is basically learn and improve. Um, like many people on the age of 30, I am definitely afraid of using the phone and calling people up out of the blue. But one thing I've had to learn to do and learn to get better at is calling people. So... I think if you look at all of sports media during lockdown, and this is not just football, the best websites and the best writers have more or less learned to write about three different things at the same time. So you've got those writers who write nostalgia pieces. So on this day, 10, 15, 20 years ago, this was going on. Or remember this old player, remember this player who was really good for like a season. Um, so you get a groove writing those articles. Uh, and one thing that's been quite fun for me is uh, quite a lot of recent prof- you know professionals who've retired and they're you know, in the same circumstances as you they're, they're at home they're on lockdown they're probably playing too much FIFA or, or can't play golf or can't do the thing they want to do so if you call them up and say hey do you want to talk spend half an hour talking about one of the greatest days in your life a lot of them say yes um, so getting those interviews has been quite fun I had some really good chats with uh, Matt Letizia and Marion Pajas during lockdown um, and another Southampton player has been in contact with recently. I should really text him back very soon. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Um, so you get doing that. There's also the other strand of basically writing about what's currently going on. So what are the players doing? Um, you know, transfer stuff, what they're doing in lockdown, who's growing a really bad haircut, who's making banana bread, who seems to have like shaved all their hair off. And that's like strand two. Um, and then there's also strand three of just trying to predict what happens next. So the business side, the sport you're covering, um, transfer stuff, uh, 
who's losing money, um, what contracts are coming in, and all the, the good writers and the good sports companies hit those three strands very, very well. Um, and, and you know, I hope I've done that sort of stuff. I've yeah. written some stuff during lockdown that I'm very, very proud of. I've written stuff during lockdown where I've, you know, I, I can I can look at the paragraph and go, that's the point where I lost my mind. <laughs> um, but I hope everyone found something that was entertaining in the 90 days without football. But I think the interesting thing here was, you know, a Premier League season is a marathon. And what we've just done is have a three-month pause. Uh, and we've accidentally ended up doing an Ironman competition. And now you've got to like go back into the swimming bit, the cycling bit now. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm also you know, partway writing stuff going, how on earth did I write about football three times a week when there were games? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so weird because there was a point when I was doing the show that it was just looking at it going like, I don't even know what we're going to talk about. You know, I have no idea what, what is here. And, and some people have said like, you know, a good job for, for keeping it going. And it, part of it for me is like, I needed contact with somebody other than my, my two children and my wife, you know, like we were literally stuck in the house for, for however long. And like, just, I needed to talk to somebody, <laughs> which is probably not, not the best thing to like put out on the internet. But like, um, you know, I, I think, I think some of the episodes I, I listened back to and I'm just like, man, I can't believe like I let that fly. But for the most part, I think like it, it winds up being okay. And there's enough to kind of, you know, there are bits and pieces, like you said, with the nostalgia piece, you, you could go back and, and look at some of those things. And, um, what I was going to say is like, you know, you read about, Parhars and that's before I was ever a fan and like you're kind of in that same boat because you know you didn't grow up in Southampton kind of as a Southampton fan and so like to to so when I read that from you it's it's encouraging to me that um you know you bring the history to kind of for me a little bit um maybe differently than somebody who's from Southampton would explain it, if that makes sense yeah I'm I think I've been on this podcast previously and I said I'm going to hold my hands up and say I'm not going to ever pretend to know more about Southampton's past than your average Southampton. Right. Um, I think I've been the part of the, the agreement between myself and Southampton fans is 2019-20, I'm going to know everything. I, everything I can find out. I want to try and find out more than you can find out. I want to try and find out stuff before you can find it out. I'm also going to try and find out stuff before it happens. Um, and and like anything up until around about 2015, I'm going to have a pretty good idea of it because that's also when I was, I joined Twitter 2011, but 2014-15 after the World Cup is when I started really experimenting with football and social media, shall we say. Okay. Um, so up until then, I've got pretty good memories. Anything before 2015, if you tell me something happened in Southampton, I'm going to believe you. Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you. Southampton played in a black and green kit once. What? Yeah, sure. Fine. Okay. Um, one, one season, Ricky Lambert scored 34 goals. Seems absurd. Let me research it. Oh, we did. Uh, and that's the sort of agreement we've had where, you know, you have the Q&As on the FAQ and I'm like, just tell me what you want. If there's something from recent history that you'd like to see a perspective on or, or, or sort of outside of the idea, of, was this as good as I remember? I can provide that. So uh, I saw some older Southampton fans recently and they said in the same way that the 1976 FA Cup final win is, is really formative to one generation. The great escape at the end of the 99 season is formative for another generation of Southampton fans. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote the piece, how did Southampton escape in, in 1999? And I, I, I went through the match reports and I'm, I'm looking through it. And that is an absurd season. Mm -hmm. Southampton's highest position the entire season was 17th. 
Um, and they, they were only out of the relegation for, I think, a combined five weeks. And yet they still weren't relegated. You're not meant to do that. You're yeah. not meant to be that bad for that long or to put your head out at the last moment and then not go down. Um, and part of that was, was, was Marion Park. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you track him down. I managed to track him down basically because he bumped into James B in the street one day during lockdown when he was, I think, I think he was like, Leaving Sports Direct, and he was, he was trying to buy some trainers for his kids. And I, you know, I had a chat with had a chat with him because obviously you know, we had an interview previously. And you know, I, um, if if I see him in the street, I'll say hello. He's very nice and very friendly. And I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this." And I said, "Oh, you know, I'll uh, I'll see what I can do." And that was a really nice way of growing up about things. And that's something that would that have happened outside of lockdown? I don't know, but uh, it's, it's definitely a, a nice a nice surprise that can happen nowadays. In this new new uh, normal, shall we say? Absolutely. As long as you recognize him with a mask on, you know. I think it's yeah. that's the the big challenge. He hasn't got the frosty tips anymore, but he's still very recognizable. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, I guess just in terms of, of project restart in general, um, in terms of Premier League, like you know what what have what have we seen in terms of, of changes from from them and and kind of their plan for for getting this going because. There were a number of things that were possibly going to happen from neutral venues to, to things like that. Um, we've settled, I think, on playing home and away, no fans in the stands, limited journalists, all this stuff. Um, and then we have, we have the, the kind of impact of, of five subs that we'll talk about in terms of how this can affect the team. But, I mean, what, what, what are the major kind of developments that have come from the Premier League in general uh, during, during this period? I think it's... I think it's a bit like society. So obviously you were going to lockdown and I'm not going to hide my affiliations. Part of me was like, oh, you know, maybe if you go into lockdown and all things happen, we all emerge and like, socialism seems good. We should have a fairer society. And then it got to a point where, oh no, actually, maybe hyper-capitalism means we're going to have to continue the way we, we always have done. Um, <laughs> and I think there have been so many possibilities for the Premier League coming back. And I think right at the start, you had West Ham, Karen Brady at West Ham, putting together a, a, a very convincing and a very honest case of avoiding the season. And she was very much, you know, she's like, I'm in charge of West Ham. We are just above the relegation zone right now. It's in my interest for us to null and void the season. I'm not going to hide why I want this happening, but also in, in health reasons, we should do that. And uh, I appreciated her candle in, in that sort of statement. And I think there was a point in time where it looked as if null and voiding was, was going to happen. Um, when the Dutch League Venture Visa did it, I thought, oh, hang on. And then you know, Belgian League did it, Dutch League did it, League On did it, and we're going, interesting. Um, and then I think another thing that's become really apparent in England as well is, is just the disparity, the um, financial disparity between the Premier League and the rest of English football. Absolutely. Uh, so as, you know, as we're recording this, um, League One and League Two have been ended. They're doing promotion and relegation on points per game. Um, so anyone that's spent lockdown watching Sunderland Until I Die, so Until I Die Season 3 is going to have a really interesting ending. Again, they're not going to get promoted in, in like the most bizarre way again. Um, so that, that's going to be very interesting. I think the, the financial disparity and basically how many clubs in the football pyramid that were basically going the longer we continue without TV broadcasts and without playing football games, uh, the more unsustainable we have was startling and how many football clubs I think basically from like fifth position down from the championship were going we need something um, whereas the Premier League again quite a few of the clubs in the Premier League were also in, in uh, interesting financial situations but the, the fact they could survive a bit longer was interesting there was also the conversation about football clubs uh, furloughing staff 
and which football clubs decided to furlough staff, which football clubs decided to not furlough staff. Um, you look at the reaction that happened when uh, Tottenham Hotspur uh, and then Liverpool decided to furlough staff and then you know reversed it. You, you look at how uh, Southampton Football Club was the first Premier League football club to have players do a wage deferral. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only new to Southampton, but I was quite proud of that. Uh, and when I went to report that story and research that story and find out how important Ryan Bertrand was in was involved in getting that to happen, um, and Ryan Bertrand's argument or to, and the point he made to the majority of the Southampton team was basically. It's, you know, we're Southampton, we look after our own, we should, we, we as players should protect Southampton staff rather than rely on the government, the government's furlough scheme, which at the moment is still volatile to protect our staff, um, was particularly interesting to look at there. Uh, and then I think that basically up until like a month ago, I was very much on the expectation the Premier would return, but perhaps would return um, to St. George's facility, so in a completely neutral location. And then there were some very, very interesting counter-arguments put forward by some Premier League clubs. So Brighton especially didn't want football to happen in neutral venues. They wanted to have it in, in, in a native stadium, shall we say. Um, so we have gone, in the last 90 days, we've gone through at least four or five different possibilities of football. And Project Restart took a number of meetings. We're on, our, I think we're in our seventh round of COVID-19 testing as well. Um, we're seeing socially distanced football training, socially distanced uh, football travel. I think it's a very particularly interesting normal where you think that uh, a Premier League football team is, is possibly, uh, or being amongst the Premier League football team is possibly one of the safest places you can be from COVID-19, which is a, it's a bit absurd when you think about it that way. Yeah. But also that they are, they are being uh, sent into work. Or, or in, a, in close contact work before, before many of us are as well. So, uh, yeah. interesting times to, to be a football journalist. And things are changing at such a rapid rate that um, credit to those who got certain deals over the line, credit to those who are reporting it. Because, again, we're not meeting face to face. So, you can't have that sort of, I'll meet you in a pub, switch off your phone, I'll talk to you off record conversation that you used to be having right. as well. So, uh, reporting, the reporting the story could be, could be slightly harder. Um, uh, one example of this was uh, wait, when we're talking about wage deferrals, so I'm the first club to announce their wage deferral. Um, I still don't know the percentage of which the wage, of what wages they took for the deferral. Um, I was told one number one person, another number by another person, another number one, number one other person. Um, and I think it's because you know people within Southampton have the opinion of if we let it be known how much we are deferring, we put a precedent out there, or we uh, you know add pressure to other clubs that may not be able to match that. Or other clubs to think they should have to outdo it, and and then possibly you know make Southampton look bad, which yeah is one of those weird things of football business and how you realise sometimes football pretends like it's chess, but actually it's a very complicated game of poker. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that that wage deferral thing you mentioned. Being proud of that, and that's that was one of those things where you could look at that, you know, wake up and that uh, in a, in a time when there aren't a lot of reasons to smile. Like that was one of those reasons that that in, in terms of football that would make you it would put a smile on your face because you just look at the team and go like they're doing the right thing and and to hear that that's coming from from Bertrand somebody who's been around the team who you know is a leader but maybe doesn't I mean obviously doesn't wear the armband anymore um, and it didn't really seem to fit him when he had it but you can be a leader without having to wear that armband and that sounds like something that you know he's in touch with kind of the the community and what it means. And, and it's nice to see that, that, that whole 
but there is a family kind of atmosphere around it. It seems like, because you would, you would stand up for your family and you would, you would make sure you, you know, uh, you, you would take some hardship on yourself to, to be able to do that. And, um, I think one of the things that I was most shocked by is how, how just financially kind of volatile the premier league is and how these teams just don't have cash reserves that can sustain, um, you know, a, a kind of a long layoff. And to be honest, like, I guess I just didn't really do the math in terms of you think about the wage packets these guys are on and, and not just the players, but the number of staff that have to be there and just to pay them, you know, a decent wage, what that looks like on a month to month basis. And the money's not coming in all of a sudden, you know, everybody, everybody's in trouble. And financial experts say you got to have a six month kind of, you know, runway in terms of, of if something happens. And I mean, that's, that's really hard to do as, as an individual or as a family, Never mind as a, as a, as a football club with, you know, international contracts and, and everything else coming into it and, and giant wages that need to come through. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with, with how the club, I guess, has handled all of that stuff. And uh, I'm really excited about football coming back. I'm also really nervous about it coming back. And I, and I just don't really know. I don't know. I don't know how to, how to like, how to feel about it uh, officially, but I'm, I am conflicted, I guess. Oh yeah. Uh, so I'll bring up one statistic that plays on my mind a lot. Um, when Leeds United got relegated from the Premier League in mid 2000s, when they got relegated, the statistic that was, was always brought forward was the fact that their turnover to wages was 70%. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why they had to do the fire sale and doing a Leeds was sort of, that's why they sort of tumbled down the league because they, they had gone all in, on wages, they had, you know, just 70%. How on earth could you spend 70% of your money on, on player wages? Yeah. That was ridiculous. Where, you know, as the financial record for everyone in the Premier League season, so, you know, this is around about the time of the year when you find out the financial records for last season. As those became released, you realize that that's the normal right now for clubs in England. The majority of football clubs have. You know, the amount of money they spend is is on on wages, on player wages, and you're going just you know 15 years ago that was regarded as as financial absurdity, and it just didn't. Which is you know, one, it shows that the, the the ruthless financial pace of the Premier League and and how you know the you know, it, it it makes me a bit ick to describe Southampton Football Club as a covenant as a company, but there are people within Southampton Football Club that describe it as a company and there are people within every single football club that describe their football clubs as companies because that's what they are now. They're, they're businesses, they're companies, they, they hire many, many people. Um, I once wrote after a, a particularly disappointing Southampton defeat uh, at home in, in December to West Ham where I sort of left the stadium and it was their Christmas party and you know, I just watched hundreds of staff affiliated with Southampton Football Club go into the you know, St. Mary's for their Christmas party and you were you know, at the time, it was December, and Southampton looked pretty bad as a football club. And you sort of got worried what would happen if this club got relegated. You know, how many of these staff possibly wouldn't be here anymore? That thankfully isn't going to happen. And also, thankfully, thanks to the work of, of, of Ryan Bertrand and, and to a number of people at Southampton, all of those people currently are receiving 100% of their wage, which is great. And that's that's how you do it properly, all right, as it were. Um, but you do you do get these reminders every now and again when you're looking at the facts and figures that. Football is so much more than what happens for 90 minutes on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is one of those times when you, I think it's, it's difficult to remember that sometimes, but then you get, you get, I don't know, 90 plus days to, to focus on the other stuff that goes on. And you realize there's just how important all that other stuff is to, to making the football happen. Um, I don't know. I'm, 
I'm still a little conflicted about about the, the no fans in the stadium because I feel like that is a big part of what makes it. But I also realize that um, if some of these games don't go off, if the Premier League doesn't return, that gigantic payment back to the broadcasters, um, that could end football clubs. And I'd rather have football back in the future, meaning I have to deal with it in a different way now with no fans in the stadium than saying like, nope, I'll only take it this way. And that means I may not have it later, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's one of the very a real uh, moral conundrum, right? Well, I think one of the one thing we're all basically saying is, I, I just like football, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you need to see if you're okay with saying that. Right? Football's going to come back; it's not going to be perfect because of uh, numerous health concerns, and one reason we're doing this is because of the large financial implications if football doesn't come back. Are you okay with football coming back in this state? And I think everyone's answer is a yes? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a varying degree, uh, and there, there are some people where the, the, you know, the answer is no, with an exclamation mark. And I think it's interesting seeing all of those opinions come to the fore. Um, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at what's happening in, in, in League One and League Two, uh, and there are some football clubs in there rightfully agree with what's happening. And I'm seeing you know teams in League One and League Two that are just like. Yeah, sound. Happy with that. That'll do. All right, cool. Yeah. Love you. Let's go. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think anyone. I, I don't think anyone is wrong here, but you can sense the nervousness in my tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, Tranmere definitely not happy with how the thing. They feel like they were voted out of the league essentially um, because the way it, it shakes down for them is that they get relegated without getting the chance to to defend themselves, basically. Um, and that's that is unfortunate. And uh, you're talking about about all the kind of implications on the league. I didn't realize one, once again how big the financial disparity between the Premier League and the the rest of the football pyramid is. You know, like it's it's so so ridiculously weighted towards the Premier League. And I, and you understand, you know, we want we want good players in the top division and all this other stuff. But I mean, some of those some of those football clubs couldn't even afford to do the testing. To, to be able to restart their season. You know, the, the, the gate receipts for them are so important. Um, whereas in the Premier League, you know, it, it accounts for um, not a huge percentage. I think it's usually between the, somewhere between 20 and 30% of their, their wage which, or their income, which is not nothing, but the rest of that's coming from, from match day stuff, you know? And whereas in, in the lower divisions of the football league, like it's, it's, you know, completely the other way. It's almost, they're reliant on, on that matching income and without, without fans in the stands, they just couldn't afford to, to do it. And I don't know. It's, 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know. Once again, I, I don't know. This is fun. I think, I think, I think that is the, the great thing about, uh, about what's going on is, is I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I think the answer for a lot of people when we're talking about return of the Premier League is I don't know. What's it going to look like? I don't know. Are things going to happen? I don't know. What's the transfer window? I don't know. This is the great unknown. Of, of the English football and anyone that is talking as if they have a large idea what happens well done because mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> yeah to try to put it all together is is been it's been one of those things like I like like big complex problems something I'd much rather sit and think about and try to work out than than just like little things that you can answer you know yes or no to really quickly um, I think that's I don't know why but that's just part of what it, I enjoy about it so being able to talk about these things and, and flush them out um is, is something I, I don't know, I kind of enjoy, but uh, I have a question. I don't know if, if you can answer it because I don't know, quite know if there's an answer, but is there any indication from Southampton or other teams that, that this may 
that this kind of stoppage may change the way they approach their finances? Like, can you see them, you know, trying to, to shift that back a little bit in terms of the, the, the amount of wages they're paying in terms of in relation to income or, um, you know, saving a bit more money or, or something putting like writing things into contracts where, you know, if we have an extended layoff like this, then the players will, you know, kind of mandatorily defer wages or, or whatever, you know, is there any indication that, the, that something will change as, as of this, or we just kind of run forward again and hope that nothing happens and, and just kind of go like, Oh no, I d- we had no idea this could ever happen again. <laughs> I would certainly hope not. I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know, but I would certainly hope that there's going to be some sort of uh, financial rebalancing in the months coming forward. Cause especially if, if you look at what's going on in Serie A, Serie A has been, Italian football has been very, clear in that if there is if someone does come test positive for COVID-19 they, they will go back under lockdown again and there'll be another pause um, so you know I think Italian football is particularly precarious right now and, and it's very honest and sort of we're coming back behave yourselves because we will easily just go back inside uh, I think Liverpool Football Club and those around Liverpool Football Club have uh, talked about the, the way they're going to rebalance themselves going forward I think that came, became quite apparent in the Timo Werner case as well mm-hmm. so Timothy has gone to. It look, he's very looking like he's going to go to Chelsea, it, and I think the discussion is basically you can't really go to a Liverpool player right now who has taken uh, a wage deferral and then say thanks for taking that wage deferral. By the way, we've just spent sixty million to bring Timothy in, and also he's going to be on two hundred grand a week. Yeah. And uh, also he's uh, going to replace one of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't really say that to someone like Divock Origi, uh, which I think is sort of a, a, an interesting sort of uh oh yeah this is this is this is another way of the implications of what's going on uh, this is why i say no one knows what's going to happen in the transfer market but on one hand you could see some kamikaze spending as clubs try and, and get the fantasy player to try and goose um ticket attendance when football does come back or, or you or like stabilize themselves in the premier league or, or you could see like a return to you know trading and bartering and and the and the growth of swap deals we'll see yeah this is when I wish that Hoiberg was, uh, you know, being in in connection with somebody other than Spurs, who will probably not drop a ton of money uh, to to do that. Um, I would much rather have them be be, you know, linked to something like Chelsea or somewhere where they're just going to splash the cash and say we're going to bring this guy in, um, just because I think Southampton needs money. And if if the 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 market goes uh, the the transfer market values kind of dip, I think that really hurts us. Um, that said, you know, somebody was saying 26 million for Vestergaard, which I don't know why we didn't sell him already. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we've, we've changed the number of subs. Why can't we just sell a guy when there's not a transfer window? Let's just make it happen. Um, but anyway, uh, let's talk about Southampton a little bit, if that's okay. There was talk beforehand. We weren't kind of, no new contracts until 36 points. Obviously, things change with the, the, the lockdown and contracts coming to an end, you know, I guess at the end of the month. Um, so, I mean, was it a surprise to see that the contract extensions were handed out to Ralph, first of all, and then to Long? Uh, I think small, small bone as well. Um, any of those things kind of kind of shock you? No, no, no. no. So, uh, one, one of the first things uh, to, to peek behind the magician's curtain, shall we say, uh, we don't write match reports at the Athletic. We, we do sort of debriefs and whatnot. So, before the game starts, I say from, from a Friday, basically, I start formulating the idea of what I want to to write about on a Saturday or want to study on a Saturday. And uh, for a long time, I wanted to write about Southampton have reached 36 points. Here's what happens next. Um, <laughs> but, you know, 
when Southampton got to 34, they lost against West Ham, then they lost against Newcastle, and I sort of had to delay those pieces and couldn't quite get there. And, and then basically at one point during lockdown, I went, look, I've been trying to write this article for a while, so I'm just going to write it. Uh, and it was basically you know, describing all the things that are likely to happen next when football comes back or, or when the summer happens. Um, and those included handing out a contract to Shane Long, handing uh, a new contract to Ralph Hassel. I got some of the numbers wrong there, so um, I knew Shane Long was going to possibly get a two-year contract extension based on just murmurs. And, and uh, um, I think I'm beginning to understand Ralph Hassel's poker face. Um, they were, there was some serious conversation about Ralph Hassel being handed a three-year contract extension in February, but they wanted to wait until the end of the season to announce it. But I think this, it, it, it became so obvious that Ralph was their man and the person to, to lead Southampton for the future that they thought they should announce it now during lockdown. Um, and I think sort of contract extensions of that ilk are, I don't like to compare Liverpool and Southampton too much because it can be a lazy comparison, but I think uh, when Jurgen Klopp got his extension at Liverpool, he sort of went, yeah, this is, you know I'm going to stay at Liverpool for as long as possible, but I'm doing this just to you know, utterly confirm it for people on the outside and people on the inside. It's a lot easier to, to bring players in when they know I'm going to be here until 2024. Yeah. And I think that's what Southampton are doing, uh, where we all sort of knew Ralph Hassel was going to get a contract extension, but now that it's been done, everyone knows, everyone inside and outside Southampton now know what Southampton is going to be about. Yeah. Until 2022, you know, hopefully until 2024, when Ralph possibly sign another contract extension. They're going to play in this 4-2-2-2 shape. They're going to be a high-pressing team, and it's all going to be about running and working against the ball. And if you don't want to do that, then you know, go away. Yeah. And I think uh, I've written about this recently. For the next two or three years, Southampton are going to be a pain in the ass to play against because they're just going to try and beat you up. Yeah. That's good luck. I'm 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 here for it. I, I will get up on a Saturday morning to to watch that, or a Thursday afternoon, whatever. Whenever we're playing, uh, over the current situation, the current current schedule, um, you know, I set this podcast up to come out on Tuesdays to give me time to talk to people after matches and and kind of plan it out because you know the time difference helps me sometimes, but sometimes it works against me. And then now we just have games all the time, and I'm just like, oh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm excited and terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You you'll be. Yeah, good luck. Um, I, how are how are pre-match press conferences going to work? I should know this from watching uh, the Bundesliga, but I, I haven't been paying that close of attention. Uh, you going to zoom with Ralph Hasenhutl pre-match, or what's going on? That almost likely be the plan. Um, so there's that phrase, and I don't know, but the plan is very much we'll be doing we'll be doing virtual press conferences, and for for well, I'm under I'm on the impression I'll be doing virtual press conferences until at least the, the new year. Okay, uh, and that will bring an, an interesting uh, order. To, to things, I think um, I'll probably have less time to study how Ralph moves his hands when he's talking as well. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, you know, Saints are a little better at managing the waiting room than some of the teachers in America who were dealing with, <laughs> uh, you know, very weird uh, video takeovers. Um, if anything weird happens, it wasn't me. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> uh, when you, when we look at at some of the contracts that were handed out with Long, especially, um, you know, I think the Hassenhutel contract. I don't think you'd be hard pressed to find a Southampton fan who kind of says, um, you know, this is not a good thing. Whereas Long, maybe you have a more of an even split, and and I think maybe because of the situation we're in, where most people like Ralph Hassenhutel and and what he's doing with the team and the stability that he's going to bring, and then like you said, just the, the pain in the ass nature that we're going to be to play against. 
then maybe now we like Shane Long a little bit more because Ralph likes him, so we should like him, and, and that's how, kind of how it goes. Um, but I still think that there will be people out there who don't really like the idea of having Shane Long around the team because he doesn't score enough and he's getting older and what if the speed goes and everything else. But um, I mean, for you, how, how important is, is that just in, in terms of a partnership for, for Danny Ings and, and what are Saints other options if something happens to, to Long? What do you see happening up front and, and who would be the next person to partner Ings, would you think? Oh, big questions. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Shane Long is not a prolific goal scorer. He has something like pretty many goals in something like closer to 200 appearances. Um, however, Shane Long has the record for the fastest goal in Premier League history, and I doubt that record will ever be broken. And he got that goal from immediately from kickoff. He just charged something down where most people wouldn't know, uh, and, and they, they went in. And that's going to be the, the for the foreseeable future. He broke the Kingsall record that stood for the best part of a decade. Uh, I think it's what, 7.69 seconds? So you, unless you're scoring directly from the kickoff, I think Shane Long's going to be in the Premier League history records uh, for at least a generation. Uh, I think that, that, that epitomizes Shane Long. That guy works hard. He works hard in a way that other players don't. And uh, in a high-pressing team that works like Southampton, Shane Long is incredibly important to how everything works. And he, especially in, in the second half of the season, has been really, really important to, to help Danny Ings play the 90 minutes that he wasn't playing at the start of the season. You look at Danny Ings' uh, minutes for Southampton. He's only really completed 90 minutes, uh, single-digit times for Ralph Hassel. Hassel really, really uh, likes to manage his minutes and, and tries to get him off in the 70th minute and then play Shea Adams or then play Michael Wallace. Uh-huh. Um, and and that's, that will most likely be the same thing going forward because Shane Long is trying to run the channels for him, so Danny Ings doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the glue guy. He makes everything work. He's also the best way for someone to get the ball up the pitch because he, he's very good in the air and gets the flick-ons and holds the ball up as well. And he does it in a way that Southampton's other options don't do. Yeah. Um, when Shane Long's not on the pitch, I quite like Michael Obafemi. I think he's sort of made a reasonable claim to, to be the third-choice striker for Southampton because Shea Adams still hasn't caught fire in the way that a few of us thought he would. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I think I'm, I'm particularly interested in, and it's going to be hard for me to evaluate, but I think Shea Adams plays better with Michael Obafemi rather than plays better with Shane Long. I think there's just something about the way Shea and Obafemi are speed first and like the ball being played in front of them into space yeah. rather than uh, to their shins where they've got back towards goal. That makes that partnership better. Um, and I, you know, I'd still like to see Shea Adams play up front with Danny Ings, but we'll see with that one. Yeah. Um, Shane Long getting a two-year contract deal is really, really important. And in two years, he'll be a bit older and possibly wondering if, if he wants to you know, keep playing football. Um, he will be very important to get to build the foundation of what Hassel wants to do at Southampton, even in a non-playing um, sense, what he does in the in the dressing room, what he does in training, and you know, talking to all the younger players. This is why we run. This is why, even when it's the 75 fifth minute and you can't run anymore, this is the importance of running. This is how we we get our assists. Like Southampton get it the, the perfect, like the platonic ideal of a hassle goal is Shane Long running up to catch the left back, who's like slacking possession, winning the ball, and then just squaring a five yard pass to Danny Ings, who just has to tap it. That's it. Just hard, hard work off the ball so you can do the easiest thing on the ball. And I think that's why Shane Long has the contract. And I think that's why I think the striking order right now for Southampton is Danny Ings, number one, Shane Long, number two, Michael, the Femi, number three, and then Shea Adams, number four. Yeah, and, and 
I don't think you can com- really complain about that because I think, like you said, that it it just it works a lot better with those two on the pitch at the same time, and and the ability to keep Danny Ings on the pitch, the effort that Long displays, and and I think Hassan Hul said early and earlier this season uh, might have even been you who wrote it, um, just that you know Long doesn't complain, you know, and he he doesn't he doesn't have to say to to Ralph you know, uh, you know, pull me off in the 60th minute before the game, like Ralph can look at him and just, and Long looks at him and goes like, I'm shattered. And then Ralph pulls him off mm-hmm. and then, you know, and Shane Long runs until he can't run anymore. And then, and then you, and then he's done. And that's when you, as I guess, you know, when you look at the importance of, of bringing through youth players and signing these young guys, like, you know, talk about small bone signing the contract extension in a second, as a guy who's coming into the first team, when you look at one of the more veteran players, a guy who's at the end of his career, who is out there outrunning you every single day in training and running himself into the ground every single match, like, and when he walks by you, you better be able to look him in the eye and say, I'm doing the same thing as you. You know, there's no reason uh, to let, you know, quote unquote, that old man, even though I'm older than him, like do that. Like you, you better keep up with him. And, and I think that role is, can't be, I, I, I think, forgotten in, in in this and for long to to play that role and you know however much money we have to pay him to go do that um i, I think do it because it's, it's going to help those those younger players whether it and not necessarily just like obafemi or, or adams because i think they're they're doing it too but these guys who are going to be coming in the team in the next two years the as as the youth team comes in to to play more with the first team i think that's that's super super important to to make sure that happens absolutely it- I don't know. It, it can't be overstated how important when you've got a manager like Hustle who stresses the need of running and stresses the need of hard work and you're playing this sort of smash mouth footballing style and you know Ralph Hustle who's a guy who wants to bring through youth talent. It, it it can't be overstated how important it could be in the dressing room, you know, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Shane Long's a bust, but Shane Long will admit himself he's not the most technically talented football player of all time. Um, and I think that could be really powerful for, for an 18, 19 year old football player going, hang on, I'm better technically than this guy. Why is he playing ahead of me? And then the man just runs better. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, as, as somebody who's gotten by on just sheer effort for most of his life, I understand that. Um, yeah. It's uh, technically gifted, not something anybody has ever said about me in any aspect of my life. Um, I will run and run and run like a discount Musa Suzuka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just, you made me smile there. But thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, the let, let's talk about Smallburn real quick. Um, you know, he signs that contract extension. That's I mean, I, I think that just signals the the willingness to kind of make sure these youth players are there. And then and then he did play in the in the Bristol friendly uh, on on Friday. Um, I don't think anybody was there, but you know, from the highlights, he looked like he played a pretty tidy role in the. I think it was the second goal. Um, kind of. I mean, do you see him kind of coming into the first team, especially with the the Hoiberg situation where we don't really know what's going to happen? Can you see him and him and War Prowse playing next to each other, or do you think that's that's uh, still a ways off? I mean, we still have the question of is War Prowse Southampton's best right back? It's a weird situation as well. Sorry, sorry to bring that one up. Yeah, I, I think was, I think there's a time and place for small, small, small bone at the moment. It was very telling that when he got his debut in the Premier League and he played against Aston Villa, he looked fantastic. And then he played the next game against West Ham and then he just got beaten up. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he is 20 years of age. He is a, uh, a slim fit, slender build, shall we say. Yeah. Um, uh, string bean, if you want to be a bit too uh, informal with it. 
Um, and he, he's really, he's really neat and tidy on the ball. He, he grew up idolizing Andres Iniesta. You can see that in how he plays and he's constantly scanning the pitch. Uh, he wants to move the ball. Um, and I think in time, he will be uh, a valued asset. I think what was really telling at the start when, in recent press conferences when we talked about Wolves Mourinho, especially after the Aston Villa win, Hassel said, I knew from the start of the season I want to play this kid. I just need to pick the right time because the FA Cup allowed me to give him one test. But I need to know the right time to play in the Premier League because I need to pick the right game and the right setting where the pressure was off Southampton a little bit. And I knew the opposition wasn't going to like, just muscle him off the ball. Um, and I think that's going to, you're going to see that a lot with a lot of these academy players because you know, a lot. And this is why Hassel has spent um, the lockdown writing this playbook, this Southampton playbook or the iBook he's calling, um, which is basically going to completely change what the academy is going to do. So in previous years, the academy has been uh, possession football first. So it's all about looking off the ball, passing the ball left and right, tiki taka. In a, if you want to use the disparaging term, um, whereas hassle is all about ball wins, it's all about getting up in people's faces, it's all about making those presses, it's all about those pressing triggers. Something I think anyone watching Southampton games when the Premier League comes back, watch hassle on the sideline and watch how accurately he is talking to the, uh, his wide players and his flankers. As, so you can see him on the pitch pointing to the opposition fullback or pointing to the opposition winger, and then you know. Almost like a dog in a loose don't wait for it, 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 now you can go, now you should press it, now you should do stuff. Um, it was something I picked up quite early on uh, in a game against Tottenham away from home where they lost, and I could literally see Ralph go, wait for it, now. Um, and again, quite late in the FA Cup game, you could see him just get apoplectic at Buffal because Buffal wasn't paying attention. Um, and that's something you know, you'll, you'll get to see, and, and you'll probably get to hear yeah. Um, depending on what, what sound option you'll get. And I think that's going to be really, really important for these academy players who are going to spend, you know, you spent, you've been a professional footballer in some shape or form since the age of nine, and now you're 19, and now your manager's going, you have to run. It's yeah. not about what you do with the ball, it's what you do when, you're, when you don't have the ball. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's going to be a big thing for small man, Nathan Teller, um, Dan, you know, Dan and Dulu, uh, Michael Oberfemi, Jake Vokins especially. He's going to be talking about the one v ones and what you do out of possession. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be. I mean, that's actually something you, you mentioned there, where we may get more insight into Ralph's management with nobody in the stands because we'll be able to hear him, you know. Um, and maybe slightly more focus will be on on that. I still find it really weird that I can hear the ball being kicked every single time, like on the <laughs> the highlights of the friendly. It's it's a little weird, and it sounds echoey. You know, it sounds like if a podcast guest called in and was sounding like that i'd be like we should change rooms you know you should get out of the <laughs> cathedral um at this moment and it's it's uh it's gonna be weird but i you know it's just it is, it's gonna be what it is so i'm i'm actually you know it is one thing i always say when you watch football behind closed doors is obviously you know, football and sports presentation has got to a point where they like to present sport as a slick hollywood movie or a production you know and, and it's sort of you get these Red Mondays or it's the Derby and they put these, you know, these short documentary packages together and you think you're going to watch this glossy, high-end, 35 million, 130 million uh, Hollywood film because that's what football is now. It's, it's multi-millions of pounds in TV broadcast being pumped in to make everything look as shiny and as clean as possible and, and, and pump the product of the Barclays Premier League. Mm-hmm. It's not even the Barclays Premier League anymore. I just say it because that's the meme. The Premier League. <laughs> um, and then when you watch football behind closed doors, you remember football as a play. It's, a, it's theater. You know? Or it's like you're, or when you watch football behind closed doors, you're watching essentially a theater rehearsal. So things go wrong. You can hear 
one thing, another thing you will have to look forward to um, is just how important Jack Stevens is in Southampton's defence. Because that guy is just always talking, man on, left, right, who's with me, I'm on my own. That's one thing you're going to really see. Just how many times the person who's at left back or the person who's at right back is out of position. And Jack Stevens is just screaming, boy, get in position again. <laughs> or when Hoiberg makes his pass and he's going to everyone, wait, calm down. Just calm down. You've got the ball again. Chill out for a bit. Yeah. Um, and that'll be, I think those will be some things to really look forward to. Or you know, look forward to, shall we say, to look out for when the football comes back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a couple of changes and I have, I have questions in terms of, of impact of this time off because I think some of the stuff that we've seen in terms of, I guess, just match fitness and, and some of the German teams who like to, to press and work hard against the ball have maybe struggled a little bit more than the teams who are really confident at keeping the ball. Um, do you, I mean, once again, like it's hard to, to say, but do you anticipate Saints being fully fit and ready to go? Or do you think that maybe this time off those pressing triggers and, and things like that may be, uh, may be off a little bit and we may see them struggle uh, as we come back into this. I think it'll be both. So as a pressing style, so Hampton's pressing style is, is pressing passing lanes. So it's not, I think um, the most common way we think about pressing is basically just that person's got the ball running in his face. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's, that's the most basic version of pressing and that's before we called it pressing, we called it closing down in pods. That's what Alex Ferguson's United did. That's what Alan Hansen. Uh, you know, Liverpool team was quite good at. Uh, if you look at really old match of the days, or if right now in England, um, they're they're showing some of the old duos from Euro '96, uh-huh. and you can hear com- you can hear commentary about how uh, Venables as England is closing down in pods. It's pressing. Pressing has been around forever. It wasn't invented by Jurgen Klopp. Um, but the version, so that's like basic pressing. And the version Hustle wants to do is he wants to basically set traps. So I've said it before. The most common thing they do is. The centre-back put the ball, um, he then wants the wide player, be it Redmond or Buffal or, or Gineppa, to stand in between the centre-back and the left-back. So once you, cut, once you press that passing lane, the centre-back has no other option but to pass it forward into midfield. And the idea is once it gets to the midfielder, James Ward-Prowse or Hoiberg beats them up, wins the ball back, and then passes to Danny or Shane Long, who can have a shot. That's, you know, that's got its pluses and minuses as versions of pressing. It's slightly less intense on the legs than, say, the full court press or yeah. the, the swarming press that early Klopp used to do. But you know, it, it requires mental fitness and it requires mental uh, awareness. You've got to keep looking around the pitch. Or he's got the ball. There he is. I have to move there. Yeah. Um, and if that is that possible at the start of the season, it, it took a while for Southampton to learn that. In the start of the season, bear in mind, the start of the season they were playing three-five-two and didn't play the four-two-two-two until Bournemouth, and even then they lost. Because of yeah, in part because Ralph was playing Kevin Danzo at left back, mm-hmm. uh, so things like that are a worry. There is that sort of if you look at the Bundesliga right now, there's it's just a massive advantage for teams playing away from home. Just mo- the majority of the teams playing away from home are winning at the moment, which I think is quite interesting. I don't know how it's going to play, um, uh, and I do you know you do get the sense that the teams that play in a sort of low block or, or middle block and play direct football, like West Ham, or like Burnley, or, or what I should say, the team Southampton are particularly bad against playing, are going to do all right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see how Southampton play at home without fans. So Southampton's home record is atrocious. Yeah. They've only won four games out of 15 at home this season. If you look at them historically, on average, for the last three seasons, they only win five at home. 
Um, so anyone who has a season ticket and watches Southampton, fair play. So yeah. spend all that money to know you're in what you see your team win five times a season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, in terms of fitness, I think everyone is going to be off the pace or, or slightly off the pace. And I think everyone's going to be at that state of, are you on the community shield? So it's the, the first game of the season where yeah. the game, the, the quality of the community shield isn't very good. And it's very telling that a community shield doesn't have extra time. It just goes straight to penalties. That's why. Because <laughs> they know won't be able to run that much longer. Okay, let's go straight to penalties. And yeah. I think that's where we're going to be for the first, for the first two, for the first three games. So, you know, we only know the times and the dates and the television schedules of the first three games. I think the first three games will be played at a community shield pace. Okay. All right. Well, that means uh, if Mourinho wins one, he's going to count it as part of the trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shameless, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it, you know, you got you to gotta do what you got to do. Like, whatever you got to do to pump yourself up. But that's usually the stuff you do at home before you go out in public. And then, like, you don't say that in public, but that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see how, the, how this works. And I, I guess the next part of that is part of the reason I mean, trying to play games at so in such quick succession. Um, at you know kind of maybe the the lack of, of, of fitness that they're at means that that injuries are, are probably like more likely to occur especially like muscle injuries and things like this um five subs have been implemented i assume to kind of uh, mitigate that um but when you look at at some of the teams i've heard arguments that you know some of the bigger teams that have all these stars on the bench all of a sudden like you know they can just put out five new players and that will be you know that that's that's almost half the team they're going to refresh it's half the outfield players they're going to be able to refresh um are Southampton going to be hurt by this, or do you think this is this will be the chance for some of the younger guys to get into the team? Or how do you how do you see that uh, playing out for for Saints? I think it's both. I think it, it's a case of the bigger teams are going to have an advantage. You, you only have to look at how stocked Chelsea are in central midfield options to be like, oh god, that that's going to hurt, right? You, you, Southampton have already played Chelsea twice. Yeah, but at any point in time, just like, okay, we'll take off Ingolo Kante and then bring on Ruben Loftus Cheek. Yeah, or we'll take. We'll take off Hudson Odoi and we'll put on Christian Pulisic, and that's that's power, that's strength in numbers. Yeah. And, and there are some teams that are very much overstocked or, or have very good stock in a lot of good positions that can make you know, the big teams have waiting. And, and there's a very good piece from Michael Cox in the Athletic about how um, how teams will play with with five subs and how when when this sort of COVID related Premier League, the social distance Premier League stops. We need to go back to three subs immediately. Um, there's another good interview with Arsene Wenger on the Athletic, where he basically describes what this will do for football. Because he was saying when he was in charge of Arsenal, even though you have three subs, you only really have two. Because one of them, you always want to keep in reserve as for an injury sub or for a red card substitution. Whereas now you've got five, you've got four. Yeah. You know, you've got four subs. Or, or, you know, it's that thing of, so I haven't got the biggest, well, tell a lie, so I have a very big squad. Um, Hustle is trying to trim it down. Right. And I think what you're going to see from Southampton and from quite a few of those, this quote unquote smaller clubs is just a lot more young players. This is more of a hunch. But I think you're playing behind closed doors. If you're a team like Southampton where you've pretty much got nothing really to play for, right? I think the highest position they can finish now is 12. Um, and they are as close to being safe from relegation without being mathematically safe from relegation. So I think the thing for Hustle now is basically going, you know what? There's not true pressure in terms of playing football. And um, we're not playing in front of fans, so no one's going to boo you or call you an idiot if you don't do your job. So why don't I play Nathan Teller? Why don't I give Dan and Drew some game time in sort of a, not quite a free hit, but I'm going to try and see if you want to play house football. Yeah. 
yeah, it, show show me you want it, right? Like, and this is yeah. this is where this is where the Shane Long effort, it, you know, if these guys go out there and don't put in that effort, like, you know, just put your head down and go sit in the corner because the, the, you blew you blew it. You know, you got to go. This out would there be and, a very very interesting time to just keep tabs of. You know, I'm sure the I'm sure the athletic or one website will do this very very soon. Just just start taking notes of every single player who makes their Premier League debut behind closed doors. Because that would be a fun pop quiz question one there. Yeah. Just which one wasn't? Because I, I imagine come the end of the, you know, everyone's playing nine games each at least. Come the end of this spell, I'd say every, I'd, I'd wager every Premier League club will have at least two debutons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, you know, it, it, I think that's the time. Um, those nine games, by the way, all on TV for all the teams, uh, more times than Southampton were televised last season. Um, I think the last season, the season before, whatever accounts just came out. Uh, you look at the, you know, everybody gets paid for for ten TV appearances. We didn't even get that because um, the type the type of football we were playing the past few seasons before Haas and Hoodle, uh not really worth watching um, for the, uh, you know, for <laughs> for the casual uh, maybe neutral fan not not going to tune in to to watch us pass the ball amongst the the, the five defenders and the goalkeeper. But anyway, uh, we're past that now. Thank God. Going going forward, we have some listener questions in terms of of just predictions for the Norwich match. And and I guess we have a couple of questions that'll, that'll feed into that. So one's from um, Luke Millard is one of the patrons said, if everyone is fit, who is our best starting 11? And a different question is who starts against Watford. I don't know if he meant Watford or Norwich because we play Norwich first, right? I'm not a complete moron. It's, 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 uh, it's Norwich, Arsenal, and then uh, Watford. Uh, so those, those are the three games that I've confirmed for television and have, Eight set in stone, and sure. then I think you know which broadcaster picks up which it will be coming through in the coming weeks. Yeah. As far as I know, I've, I've downloaded every single fixture to my phone. I get notifications every time the game's about to happen, which I recommend you should all do. Go on the Southampton website and get that done. To my uh, my work calendar has all the games on it, and I've been getting emails that games were supposed to happen because um, it's it, it hasn't. <laughs> It just, I'm like, well, I should just go into delete it. But I'm also like, I have this refusal now. It's summer vacation. I'm not logging into work. So like the notifications will come through, but I'm not going to go in and fix it because I just don't care. Um, so when I get up at 4 a.m. on a Saturday uh, for a game that's not happening, that's my fault. Um, anyway, so if everyone's fit, who's, who's, who starts? And then who's, who do you think will start against Norwich? Uh, we have uh, four and a half hours for you to get through this one. So go for it. I, I think everyone is fit at the current point in time. So Nathan Redmond was the only major injury going into, you know, if if you put the clock back, Southampton were meant to play Norwich on March 14th. Uh, and I think going into that game, the only injury per, you know, injured personnel there was uh, Nathan Redmond, who had a muscle injury. Um, Musa Genepo is beginning, he's going to have match one of his three-game suspension, which I think, I mean, I forgot about it until I had to do some research. Oh, yeah, he got sent off against Newcastle. He's got a three-game suspension. Um so Shane Long didn't feature in, in the friendly. I don't know if it's because he's injured or not, but I'm, I'm going to expect him to be playing and whatnot. So I think Ralph will want to do what he normally does, which is the 4-2-2-2 system. I think Alex McCarthy is going to continue his run as the goalkeeper in number one. Nathan, um, Nathan. Ryan Birch will be left back. I think the centre-back pairing will be Dan Benderak and Jack Stevens again. Right back is the interesting one. So in the game against Bristol City, Hoiberg played right back. Uh, previous to that, uh, against Newcastle, Varu played against, uh, right back and he didn't look particularly good. Kyle Walker-Peters had a sort of false dawn 
in his right back in, in his sort of game for Southampton. So he wasn't particularly impressive in the defeat against Burnley and then just hasn't featured since. Um, there's this question mark where it looks as if James Ward-Prowse might be the best right back for the league uh, for Southampton at the moment. Um, I'd like to see more Kyle Walker-Peters. Um, he has nine games to prove himself and say, if he wants to say it's Southampton, yeah. or to prove to Tom Hotspur when he goes back to Tom Hotspur that he's a Tom Hotspur player. So, uh, yeah, yeah. From my personal opinion, give, give Carl Peters a guy right back. Uh, midfield pivot, Hoiberg and, and uh, Ward Prowse. I think was also telling in the Bristol City friendly. Hoiberg wasn't the captain. Ward Prowse was as well. Yeah. Uh, and Hassel was said it's hard to make someone a captain when it looks as if they might be leaving soon. So I think we might be beginning to we might be beginning to see the start of James Ward Prowse's captaincy, which I think quite a few Southern fans will be happy with. You know, he's their longest serving player. And he's the guy who sort of helps create most of their goals um, by his set piece delivery as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the wings, Nathan Redmond at left on the left hand side, he'll probably be um, Stuart Armstrong, who has well, he scored twice in the friendly and and, and properly healed up from his concussion against West Ham and, and other related uh, niggles. And then up front, it'll be, it'll be Danny Ings and Shane Long. All failing that will be Danny Ings and. Michael Abafemi yeah. up front. I think I think you'll be looking to see a, a, a win for Southampton against Norwich. Norwich are a good team and they want to play possession football whereas Southampton are a good team and they like it when the other team has possession. Yeah. So, it kind of plays into our hands correct. a little bit. Um, um, indeed. So, and we get, and I, think, I think like you said, that's probably the best we can do at this moment in time in terms of 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 just the team that we can put out there. Um, right back obviously is still a, a hole. There's still a lot to, to be desired there. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see it. And, and with Ward Prowse being the captain yesterday, uh, that, that Ralph is backing up what he said, you know, about, about the Hoiberg situation. And, you know, if you're not going to sign the contract, it's hard to put you, make a captain. And, and I, I think, I mean, I think Hoiberg has to understand that, right? Like he's, he, he's gotta, he's gotta get, get that in his head. He's been around long enough to, to kind of get that. So, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't see him kicking up a fuss. Hopefully, over over having that armband taken from him, if that's the case. And um, you know, if you look at, at, at players who came from Portsmouth uh, or who were born in Portsmouth who've done good things for Southampton, there's there's Bobby Stokes and then there's James Ward Prowse. And I think uh, <laughs> you know, if if James Ward Prowse can do anything as important as uh, Bobby Stokes did, then that'd be great. Um, so let's just keep let's keep that going, please. Um, with that. The games are going to come thick and fast. We'll have five substitutes. We'll see, hopefully, I, and I think you know, lots and lots of youth players coming in. Um, I just, I, I guess, I, I just hope that we don't see the changing of the starting lineup so much over the course of of the games because they're going to come so fast. I hope that that we don't get a completely different, not like the second half of a friendly where it's just like a completely different eleven players uh, when you turn around and play. And I, I worry about that sometimes, but we'll have to just see how how fast the games come. Uh, over the course of that, um, I have a couple of questions that aren't necessarily r- related to to any one particular match. But um, do you have a, from the Southampton fan page one on Instagram? Uh, do you have a favorite Southampton player? It's Danny Ings by by uh, quite quite some margin at the moment. Oh God, that boy! He's taking my kids to college. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote about how. Uh, at this point, it's weird because in a in a in a different timeline where COVID hasn't happened, and we'd be in the middle of Euro 2020, uh-huh. and there's reasonable chance to expect Danny would be in the England squad uh, for Euro 2020 if you 
instead of injuries and whatnot. And, and the fact that Daniels was having a fantastic season. Yeah. Uh, he, he scored so many important goals for Southampton. And I think the big thing for him now is to prove the fact that it wasn't a hot streak and he is, he is the real deal. Um, if he wants, he, he, he's made no secret of, of wanting to be an England player and wanting to get, to go to possible Euro 2020 tournaments. And this is, this is the time where he proved himself again and saying, no, it wasn't me just getting lucky or, or getting riding an extra hot streak, but I am a genuinely good European quality, England, international striker quality. Uh, football player and I think he is I think he can be uh, I also really enjoy James Ward-Prowse and how I'm not going to say it but you know what I normally say about James Ward-Prowse and how he secretly is something yeah um, I quite enjoy Stuart Armstrong and, and how like the really intelligent way he interprets his job on the right hand side of the 4-2-2-2 in that somehow sometimes he like switches over and it becomes the middle person in the middle three which then becomes a 4-3-3 when Redmond bombs forward um, Redmond is excellent uh, even though he can frustrate me when he's doing a counter-attack and makes the wrong pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really like Ryan Bertrand. Uh, and I think it's quite sad that Ryan Bertrand uh, has been at Southampton for five years and hasn't got a fan shot. Yeah. What, is it just because of the name and it's difficult to work into that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it is strange. Someone that's played for over 200 games and, and hasn't and been there for five years and hasn't got a fan chart. And uh, unfortunately, he won't be able to get a fan chart when he comes back. Uh, but I think people would want to give him a fan chart, especially over the role he uh, he played in terms of the ways to throw. So yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if there's any ask I make of, of Southampton fans going forward, is a, a fan chart for, for Ryan Birch would be very nice. Well, this is where the Saints media team could really do it if they if they come up with the fan chant and then they pipe it in, we'll hear it. And then we'll pick it up. So they just got to sing it. They got to get all the Southampton staff to sing it. And then they'll just pipe it in. It'll be, it'll be great. Or it'll be awful. Um, and I'm surprised. I mean, the guys from the In That Number podcast, I'm surprised they haven't come up with one. And maybe they have and I just missed that episode. But, um, it, you know, there's got to be something. Uh, there is a, one last question here. It's from CXX. Oh, it's from Curtis uh, with two X's uh, in, in, his, in his name on Instagram. And he says, who do you think is better out of Matt Letizia, Ricky Lambert, or Danny Ings? But I'll just ask you this, because I don't <laughs> want you to not be able to walk around Southampton, because there's no winning that. that. Um, if you could pick one at any point in their career to put in your team, uh, only one, who do you pick? 2010, 2011, Ricky Lambert. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, gener- I think it's been very much a generation thing. So of an old generation, you want Matt Letizia. Uh, I think Ricky Lamp, you know, Matt Letizia's first ballot Hall of Famer in the Southampton Hall of Fame. And I think number two is probably Ricky Lambert now and three, Franny Manali. And then you sort of, they're all excellent. But I think it was all, you know, I think age profiles yeah. play away, play away into that sort of thing. Yeah. But I had a lot of fun writing about the best version of Ricky Lambert in lockdown. Um, and uh, it, it someone close to Ricky Lambert made it very clear to me that he, he sort of agreed with my estimation and ranking, which meant a lot to me as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Ricky Lambert in the season in championship, that, that would be the player I would drop into my team. Okay. Uh, I'd be, if he wants to come back and try it, be, be okay <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah. Um, so if people want to get your writing and obviously you, you mentioned before, and I think people probably know, hopefully that the athletic doesn't do match reports, but you will be, you know, you do write about the matches. There's, there's a, a theme that, that you take and, and kind of, uh, run with that usually comes out on a Monday, I think, if we play on a Saturday. But now I don't know when those come out um, because of uh, how how often the games are going to come. But um, people can do that. They can go to the Athletic. It's it's got its own app. It's on it's on the internet. 
Um, the link is in the show notes. And if people want to sign up for that, um, how, what's the best way for them to do that? Okay. Uh, so from Monday, we're, we're the Athletic's going to be doing a very big Premier League's back sort of thing. So does this episode go live? Uh, Tuesday. Okay. So by the time you're hearing this, we'll be in full swing of, of celebrating the fact the Premier League's back. So the Athletic will be offering 40% off to new subscribers. So if you go to theathletic.com forward slash all 20 teams, 20 is uh, the number 20. You can get 40% off your subscription and, and we'll be away. So uh, from Monday, from Monday at 8.30. Okay. Um, so by the time you listen to this, we will be in full swing celebrating the fact the Premier League is back. It's talking about everything that's going on. Uh, by the time this episode goes live, uh, something listeners will be able to enjoy on the Tuesday is uh, we'll be doing a live Zoom for everyone, really. Oh. Uh, so every single, we'll be doing a live Zoom show. And, and every single club report in the Premier League will, will jump in and explain to fans what you can look forward to in the Premier League from their team. So I will be there from um, 7.45, just before 7.45. So 7, 20, to 6, 20 to 8 to, to 7.45 um, BST. I'll be, I'll be there on Zoom um, talking to James McNicholas, otherwise known as Gunnerblock, about everything you need to know about Southampton. All right. And then from about 8.15 BST, I will be the host. I'll be talking to everyone else nice. about their clubs as well. I'll be trying to wear my best suit for that. Um, no so I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to tell you this because this will be live on the Tuesday as well. And then throughout the week, it's just going to be constantly talking about things to do with the Premier League being, being really, really excited. Um, on the Friday, there'll be like a special hour completely dedicated to the to Southampton on the Athletic UK's Twitter account as well, okay. where we'll just be going through all the good stuff. Um, so yeah, this is exciting, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it sounds like you're going to be super busy. Um, oh, I, I have no idea. If, it's not going to be Saturday going into Monday anymore. I think it'll just be the game is played on one day and then by tomorrow morning you want it done. Okay. Which will be a fun challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, um, yeah, I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. That sounds like, uh, what, what I signed up for when I subscribed to the athletic. Um, so yeah. And I don't pay for anything. So like you should. <laughs> you're costing me money but i very much am happy with that so uh, people should go and, and sign up and we'll put the link um with the with the code and everything in the show notes if people want to do that um and if people haven't used their free trial i mean you can still do that too that's that's part of what the athletic does offer you is a, is a short trial to to see if you like it and if you don't like it uh, move on and you were on um you're on a podcast uh, on the tifo podcast i believe uh which is free to everybody, but also run on the athletic. And, um, I really, I just want to say, I really enjoyed that episode, uh, of the show. I probably listened to it twice, um, driving back and <laughs> forth. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed the, I got a lot of insight from you between that. And then the, the, the Hoiberg interview on Ramble meets, I got, a, I got a lot, I got a lot to, I had a lot to think about over that, that couple of days. So uh, thank you for that. Hoiberg is so good. Um, yeah, yeah. There's also, I think, uh, football daily has an interview with Martin Sandler. That okay. explains the. Uh, I want to say Hulk It's it's on the BBC podcast. It's going to interview Martin Simmons. Um, that when Simmons just basically ex- explains why they extended Ralph's contract. Okay, so I'd recommend that as well. All right, man. Sounds good. Well, uh, anything else you'd like to discuss before we we kind of wrap this up? Um, just follow me on Twitter. So from Monday, uh, well, by the time this goes live, there'll be a large thread on my Twitter where I'll just basically share with you all the pieces from lockdown. That I think are particularly interesting. You should go hang out. And yeah, the Premier is coming back. Get excited, subscribe to your like, um, and look after each other. All right, man.
Appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Always, always welcome. Um, if you want to follow you on Twitter, they can do that. It's at Anchorman616. Link is in the show notes. And uh, yeah, man, I look forward to talking to you soon. That does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Carl Anchor, the Athletics Carl Anchor. You can find on Twitter at Anchorman616. I give him a follow. He was writing a try. Uh, there's a free trial period on the Athletic. There's a special link uh, to get you a discount for the rest of the season or the rest of the year or a full year. I'm not exactly sure. As I said before, um, I paid full price. You don't have to check it out. Uh, enjoy the fact that football is back. And I can't say as a subscriber to the athletic that it is worth it, at least for me, uh, the content that is there for not just saints, but the rest of the premier league, um, the Astros, they cheat. I know. Um, but the, all of that is there. And if you like other sports, they have writing on all of that stuff too podcast as well uh i enjoy it you might as well if not i i it's that's on you that's fine this show's free you don't have to pay for it you're already subscribed and if you're not you can do that if you go to southhamptondelivery.com uh, i would very much appreciate it if you subscribe for free to this um yeah that's it that's it if you want to follow along on twitter instagram or facebook you can do that we are at sfc d-e-l-l underscore i-v-e-r-y on both twitter and instagram we're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There's no underscore in the Facebook address. And if you just go to southhamptondelivery.com, you can subscribe to the show. You can sign up for the newsletter or you can follow along on social media. Uh, all the links are there. Go check it out. The show would be impossible without the partners of the show. So special thanks to Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For all your match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out We Are Southampton page on Instagram. And also to the Southampton page on Twitter. Uh, they are the official partner of the show. Stay in touch with them to keep you up to date with everything going on around the club. That does it for this week. I look forward to talking to you next week. And uh, until then, remember that together, we march on. <laughs>